Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Praise God. It is indeed good to see all of our guests who are here. I see a good number of people. Most of you I have met. I see a few faces that I have, I'm not acquainted with, but it is good to have you here in the house of God. I'd like you to turn to Mark, the 16th chapter, and we want to minister from the great commission that was given by our Lord, found in Mark. Last week, we just had such a great time here at the house of the Lord. We had a good three days of fasting and prayer, a good three days of prayer. Fasting is never good. It may bring about good results, but it is just not good. Uh, sometimes it's not so difficult for me. Uh, most of the time it is extremely difficult. But I, I, I'd like for you to stand, if you would, for the reading of the Word. Um, let me read this, and then I'll conclude with some preliminary comments. Verse 15, He said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into glory, into heaven, pardon me, and set on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks for standing at the reading of the word. But our three days of fasting and prayer, fasting is never good, but it brings about good results. Now here's what I'm trying my best to convey to all the people that I feel responsible for and responsible to. That it is extremely important for America to have revival and for the world to have revival. But if the world has revival, it will be when each individual understands his personal responsibility to that revival. That is, the people who are committed to the Lord. Now, the scripture that I read to you, or the scriptures that I read in your presence this morning, are scriptures that I have quoted from and read the last two or three weeks. Today I want to speak on the subject, who is a Bible believer? Now notice I said Bible believer. I didn't just say a believer. There is one thing to say that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is another thing to say I believe on Him to the extent that I will follow the Scripture. And I'd like to see people totally committed to God and totally committed to the Scripture. I believe in order for America to survive, America must have revival. There are some things that are shaping up in our present world that are just, uh, you know, they're just so alarming. Uh, you read in the paper, the former Soviet Union. Who would have ever thought? I just read that yesterday. And I read it several times, but when I 
and I've heard it. But when I read it yesterday, just like a cold chill came over me. And I thought, how strange this is, that a great threatening power to the civilization of mankind could be destroyed in just a matter of months. Who would have believed that? Now, that's, that's a... now, just as sure as this great world power fell in a matter of months, and just as the first great world power prophesied in the Bible, which happened to be the Babylonians, fell in one night, and just as the great Roman Empire fell in a very short period of time, and all the other great empires of, of history have fallen, is it possible that America could, could fall also? Now, the Bible gives us a prophecy that any nation that forsaketh God will be destroyed. Now, the Bible says that. Now, nobody wants our nation to be destroyed, and nobody wants our nation to backslide. Nobody wants to see us to go into deep, dark uh, iniquity. But yet, the problem is that too many people would like for the vast majority of the people to hold it together, but they would like to personally venture out into unknown areas of iniquity and practice those and do those in hopes that the majority will hold it all together. There is a... I don't know about the Communist Party now of America, but I remember making a trip to Europe probably 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago now. And when I came back, I went straight down to the college campus and there was a girl handing out um, newsletters down there. And she handed me one and I began to talk to her and she says, Oh, I, uh, I am uh, a member of the American Communist Party. I said, I want to talk with you. So we started talking. I said, uh, uh, are you pro-American or, or what? She said, well, uh, I said, would you like to see America change to communism? She said, well, definitely. I said, well, you know, I just came from Europe and came close to some of the communist bloc nations. Uh, you drive from Austria into the to the border of some of the communist bloc nations. And about every 300 yards or more, there's a tower. And uh, then, of course, you know, there's the, the fence. It looks like a prison. Uh, the, the thing that is so amazing about this is that they're not trying to keep people in. I say keep people out, rather. They're, they're trying to keep their own people in. Uh, they don't want their people to leave to leave and uh, standing in all of those towers are men armed with machine guns that'll cut you to shreds if you try to escape people are held in captivity i told this young lady i said now you know the thing that amazes me about what you're doing is that you know when the communists take over the first people they execute are people that betrayed their country 
you'd probably be one of the first ones to be shot. And they'd tell you this, that uh, because that you betrayed your country, you'd probably also betray us if you had a difference with us. Now, if in the event, however, you survived and somehow uh, you found the graces of, of the Communist Party to the point they didn't do anything, you've got to understand that if you do come up with a new idea, you'd never be able to publish like you're publishing now. In other words, if you were standing in the streets of a communist nation right now trying to pass out propaganda concerning democracy, they'd rip your guts out with machine guns. They wouldn't tolerate it. Well, while I was talking to her, she just kind of hung her head and walked away. And I said, wait a minute, let's talk about this. She said, I don't want to talk with you anymore. Just don't want to discuss it with you. So she walked away. And, of course, I had uh, the paper in my hand. I went over to the trash can. And while she glanced back, I deposited it in the trash can. Uh, I see a similar thing happening in the spirit world. There's a whole lot of people, you know, that would like the freedom of America, uh, the freedom that God has given to us. But, that, but they would like to just do what they want to. But you, the old saying is you can't have your cake and eat it too. That this nation has been held together by strong, Bible-believing, Spirit-filled people. And when that diminishes from individual lives, it hurts the cause of freedom. See, true freedom can only be expressed by an individual when he knows the Lord in the fullest way that he can possibly know Him. For he that is set free by the Son, he is free indeed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is liberty. If we have been made free by Jesus Christ, if we have been made free by Jesus Christ, then we are free indeed. Now, there are some things that, that I want to call to your attention, and I probably will step on the toes of some of you guests who are here, and then no doubt I will also trample a little bit on the toes of some of our people, and then probably pretty heavy on the toes of uh, several of you. You know, the Bible says concerning the new birth, the Bible tells us that, that behold, all things have become new. We have become new creatures in Christ Jesus. And uh, I think sometimes Christians, when they understand that all things are new, that, uh, that they don't really understand what the Scripture is talking about. I'll just give you an example of this. Let's say that a man who has not been born again has been involved in, in a traditional Christian church for years, but he goes only on the holidays. Then he comes and finds the Lord in the power of the Holy Ghost, and because he reads in the Scripture that all things are become new, then he feels that he should go to church regularly except on the holidays. You know, he reverses it because all things are new hard to get Pentecostals to come to church on, on Thanksgiving, and it's hard to get them to come to church on Christmas, and some on Easter. They feel that, well, this is a holiday. I'll just, 
Well, you know what you're doing, though? You're really hurting the cause that you represent. You're also hurting the cause for which America stands for. It is no doubt in, in my mind that, that we're, living in the, we're living right to the point where on our coins and God we trust could be taken right out of off. The Pledge of Allegiance to the Flag. Well, there, there are a whole lot of people that won't do that anymore. They just feel that, oh, that's, that's, that's just not right for us to do that. And there, there's just so many liberal ideas. But let me tell you, the church is indeed rising to the forefront. I stood behind this pulpit and read a letter that Brother James Lumpkin, who is the superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church International in Arkansas, had written to Bill Clinton. And he said now, because uh, he considered himself to be a friend to, to the governor. He lives in the same city he lives in. Of course, he, he, he uh, is a superintendent of all the churches of Arkansas. And Bill Clinton, for the last six or seven years, has gone to the Arkansas camp meeting. You know, he sat right on the platform and clapped his hands with the same chorus as we do, sung these and mixed with our people. He's, he's seen our people come down to the altar uh, he's seen our ministers lay hands on them, anoint them with oil. He's heard messages in tongues, interpretation. He's heard prophecy given. I mean, he knows the ropes, you know. And, uh, of course, uh, Brother Lumpkin was just expressing disappointment in some of, the, some of the things that Bill Clinton has endorsed that he feels is just not right according to Scripture. And I don't mind telling you, basically, homosexuality. Uh, what the scripture is against now yeah i don't i don't care what you say uh, by the stretch of the imagination you can't read the bible and determine that that this is correct now you can't do that now i know that you see here's what happens when the church becomes weak see the nation becomes weak when the pulpit is weak the nation becomes weak uh, it was the churches that first started promoting all this by marrying men and marrying women. Now, you may say, what do you think of it? I think it's just ridiculously stupid. And it's certainly not scriptural. And if you read your Bible, I mean even the stretch of your, the imagination, uh, you, you won't find anything in the Bible that even gives a, the slightest hint of God's endorsement. Now, I could stand here and thumb Scripture after Scripture after Scripture and read them to you in which God calls such activities an abomination. In fact, the lowest level of iniquity that a man can go into, according to Romans 1, is perversion. It's the lowest activity that you can get involved in before you are turned over to a total reprobate mind or... Maybe I should say, when you are turned over to a total reprobate mind, because that's what the Scripture says, then you go into this. And the Bible says, wherefore God gave them up. If you look at the original text, it says that God gave up on them. Now, when God gives up on a society, when God gives up on a person, my friend, there is not much hope for that person. Now, at the same time, going back to this, uh, national scene we're talking about, the same time in which uh, uh, 
our president-elect has endorsed a lot of things that we disagree with. He has also kind of played the the field of 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 courting somewhat with with Christian groups. In fact, we are having our we are having our prayer and Bible conference next week, next Monday night, not tomorrow night, but next Monday night, Tuesday, and Tuesday night at Oak Creek at the uh, Oak Creek uh, Apostolic Church, uh, where Brother Tamil pastors, Sister Vesta Mangan and Brother Billy Cole were to be with us. Sister Mangan called and says, I can't make it. And the reason why is because my daughter-in-law, uh, Mickey Mangan, uh, who happens to be Brother Lumpkin's daughter, that, that is the superintendent of Arkansas, she is singing at... Bill Clinton's inauguration. And not only that, but our whole church choir in Alexandria has been invited to come and sing at the inauguration. So there's a lot of things. So she said she can't come. I would like to throw in this good news, though. Uh, we will have with us Sister Nona Freeman to take Sister Mangan's place. So you'll, you will enjoy Sister Freeman. She'll be ministering Monday night. I hope all of you go and hear this great missionary lady who was such a great lady in Africa for years and years and years. But I said all that to say this, that, you know, sometimes you try to figure out what's going on. There's kind of a strangeness going on in our world. Uh, you can't figure it out. You just simply can't. And, and what's happening in the spirit world, you don't always know. But this I do know, that Paul said you can do nothing against the church but for the church. And sometimes the more you fight truth, the more truth comes to the forefront. It is true that, that people have, I'm talking about true Bible-believing Christians, have grown more rapidly and stronger in times of persecution, in times of trial, in times of tribulation. Now, to summarize some of these things that I've thrown out, let me just say this. If you care at all about your family, if you care at all about America, if you care at all about eternity, if you care at all, you need to personally commit your heart to the Lord. Now, don't depend on father to do it, or mother to do it, or grandfather to do it, or grandmother to do it, or don't do that. Personally, make a commitment to God. I mean yourself. Yourself. This is what I want to be. Now, if you reserve a lot of things for yourself, such as not giving yourself totally to the Lord to the point that there are many other things I'd like to do that are kind of, you know, on the verge of Christianity, on the periphery, a little shady here, a little shady there. Uh, <laughs> You're hurting the cause. You're not helping the cause. You need to make a commitment to go all the way with the Lord. Now the Bible says these signs shall follow them that believe. Now, I have never been able to rightly decipher if the Scripture is saying that every Bible believer should have every sign spoken of here or if it's saying collectively that these signs should be with them. Well, you may say, well, it says they shall speak with new tongues. And I've heard you say, Pastor, that every Bible believer, that is, everyone who is born of the Spirit, will speak 
with other tongues. I believe that. I do believe that. But I, what I am saying is that I do not know that, that every person will experience drinking deadly things. I think that every person has opportunity to lay hands on the sick. And also every person gets sick and has opportunity to have hands laid on him. But specifically speaking, I'm not for sure that every sign that's spoken there means that, that every Bible believer will experience all these things. But I will say as opportunity arises that uh, you should be so full of the Holy Ghost that you would believe God to the extent that God has the opportunity to be God in your life. See, the one that we call God, more specifically the Lord Jesus Christ, is not always God to all people who say that He's God. If you look at the, the definition of God, you will find that, that, that God uh, elevates Himself as having dominion over you, and not only you, but everything that you possess. Because He is God. And we sing the chorus, Jesus be the Lord of all, the kingdoms of my heart. Such a beautiful chorus. But you know... Jesus told the disciples, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. And, and I like to think that, you know, God does reside in my heart, and he is Lord of my heart, and that everything that I do, everything I say, all my thoughts, everything should be totally committed to him. Now, if you, if you had to handcuff yourself to Jesus and walk around on the planet Earth, do you, do you think you could convince Jesus to go every place you go? Do you think that, that, that you'd alter your conversation somewhat with certain individuals just because that Jesus was standing by your side? Do you think that uh, if Jesus somehow had a way, and of course he can do this, but I'm talking about when he's by your side, of reading your expressions and such, which happens to be a reflection of the mind that you'd be happy with all of the things that he sees. Well, you see, Jesus is here. He's right here. I'll assure you that Jesus is just as much in this place today as he was on Golgotha's brow the day in which he was crucified. I'll assure you that Jesus Christ is just as much here today as he was in that manger scene when he was placed in that feed trough wrapped in swaddling clothes. I will assure you that Jesus is here just as much as he was in the temple there when he was 12 years old uh, and with great amazement ministering to the high priest and to the scribes. I will assure you that just as much as Jesus Christ walked down the dusty roads of his day and people looked upon him that right here today, you may not be able to physically look upon Him, but with faith in your heart, you can look upon Jesus, and you can feel His presence just as much here today as you would be been able to feel His presence in the day in which uh, Jesus Christ lived in the flesh. Now, I just I just want to, to say this. I, I feel that I should. Some people feel if they hang around a Bible-believing church where... 
devils are being cast out and and of course we just we just had that to happen this past weekend where people are being baptized and we just baptized someone we're scheduled to baptize someone today uh if you hang around places like this then everything's going to be all right let me just inform you however of the danger of hanging around a place like this if your if your heart is not submissive to follow the leading of the spirit you see, John the Baptist had this to say about Jesus Christ when he comes upon the scene. John says, He will have his fan in his hand, and he shall thoroughly purge the threshing floor. He will separate the wheat from the chaff. That's what he had to say. In other words, basically what I'm saying is this. The same wind that came from the fan, it separated the chaff, and it also separated the wheat. And you'll find this, my friend, that when there is a great move of the Holy Ghost and there's resistance against it, the same Holy Ghost that is drawing people and saving people and delivering people and setting people free and making some people happy and some joyous will cause others to be saddened. It will cause others to go astray. It will cause others to backslide. There is a danger in resisting the presence of Almighty God. He that believeth, believeth and is saved, baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. In other words, it doesn't take a whole lot to be lost. It takes a lot to be saved. A man must do what the Bible tells him to do. But in order to be lost, you don't have to believe anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to think anything. You just simply do nothing. If a person today determined that he wanted to be lost as he heard me preach, and if he were to get my advice, I'd be quick to give it to him. You don't have to do a thing. You don't have to think adversely. You don't have to think irregularly. You don't have to think nastily. You don't have to think, you know, vilely. All you have to do is just simply nothing. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. It was once said that the greatest, the greatest promotion... The greatest promotion of evil is for good men to simply do nothing. Just nothing. Just don't do anything. Just nothing. Who is a Bible believer? Let's turn to John 15. Oh, I feel God in this place today. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Friday night when we gathered here, some 90-something strong, the Spirit of the Lord came down such a great way and began to minister to us we had tongues and interpretation and just a oh great move in the lord usually during fast days especially the third night people kind of drag in and everybody's tired and you don't feel the victory until sunday but we started friday night we got off to a good start now jesus <coughs> has this to say he talks about the vine and the branches. Let's read it. I am the true vine, and my Father, the husbandman, every branch in me that beareth not fruit is taken away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, when I say who is a Bible believer, I, I personally want to set the record straight right away before we go into a lot of conclusive proof, uh, scripturally speaking. You know... What saved you will keep you saved. That is as far as the Holy Spirit is concerned. But 
you must grow in knowledge and in grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Any person who decides that, well, I got the Holy Ghost, I was baptized in Jesus' name, and I spoke with other tongues, and he just simply says, well, I'm going to sit back and just uh, relax and enjoy myself. God never gave you the Holy Ghost just in order to make you feel comfortable when preaching's going on or when singing's going on. No, my friend. No, my friend. One person said, well, I got the Holy Ghost because I wanted to go up in the rapture. Well, to me, that's kind of a strange way of thinking. The, the last thing that you'll use your Holy Ghost for on this earth is to go up in the rapture. That's the last thing. And so you get the Holy Ghost, let's say, 30 years ago, and you're looking forward to the rapture, and that's why you got the Holy Ghost, because you want to go up in the rapture, and that's all you're concerned about. That means that you use the Spirit of God one time in your life, and only one time. Well, it appears to me that it would only be logical if God gave us the Holy Ghost just in order for us to go up in the rapture, that He would have probably raptured us the moment He gave us the Holy Ghost. But he left us here, and he left us here with a mission. That's why I read what I did from Mark 16, if you read that. He's talking about the evangelization of the world. It appears to me that what he's saying, he, he, he puts all this about casting out devils, speaking with new tongues, laying hands on the sick, that all this is vitally important to the evangelization of the world. I can tell you one thing. We'll never turn Madison upside down if we just come in here and patty cake a little bit for Jesus and go home. We have to get real serious about revival. We'll never save America and continue to enjoy the freedom that we're enjoying if people just feel obligated to go to church and that's it and that's it alone. So help me. I hope that I never reach the point that I just feel obligated to go to church and, and that's it. Oh, I feel that everybody should want to go to church and there should be enough responsibility or accountability in each individual to show up to the house of God. But on the other hand, when you come, let's come with open hearts, willing to receive the Word and willing to fellowship and willing to praise God and willing to worship God and willing to pray around the altar and, and sing in the choir. Whatever God wants, we want to be submissive to it. Now this is what he says, every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. Now if I understand the word purge, the word purge actually means that he cleanses it. Now, we normally think of a person whose heart as being full of sin that they need a cleansing. You read uh, Psalm 51, you will find David talks about he purgeth me with hyssop, or hyssop rather, hyssop. And, uh, but that's, notice what he says, every branch that beareth fruit he purgeth it. He takes away the branches that will not bear and the, the, the branches that are putting forth fruit, he's going to purge them. I think we could use the word that he, he's going to prune it. In other words, he's going to cut away everything about the individual that's not right. Now, 
I told you I was going to step on some toes. Let me just let me just start right here by really whomping real hard. Some of you Pentecostal people need some branches trimmed. You you need to you need to submit yourself to God and say, Lord, I want you to take the pruning hook and 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 the pruning shears, and I want you to cut me. I may leave bloody, so to speak. <laughs> But, but take away all this dead stuff that's, that's killing me. If you have a, a dead branch on the tree, it seems to, to grow and grow and grow. Even though it's not growing, it's eating away like a cancer. And if you have a dead branch, you need to ask the Lord, cut it off. Separate me from it. Let a new branch grow. Let new blossoms come. Let new vegetation come. Let new life flow. Oh, we need to hit the altar if we're in that situation. Praying, seeking God, asking God to cleanse us, to purge us. Because here's what happens if the whole, if the whole tree is not bringing forth fruit. What happens? Then he taketh it away. I mean, the whole thing. Whose span is in his hand, see. The same Holy Ghost that's able to give life by purging is also able to, to cut off and cause damnation. This is real life. I've never been more serious about this than what I am this morning. This is real life. Now, verse 3, now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you who is a Bible believer, not just a believer, but a Bible believer. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Don't care how many good deeds you've done, if God does not unction those deeds, and if God does not move through you, then you're just doing it all in vain. Isn't that right? What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? I'm going to give you time to turn there. It's, a, it's, a, <clears throat> it's, it's such a powerful passage of Scripture. It's called the, the love chapter of the Bible. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, that's love, I am become a sounding brass or tingling cymbal. Now this is what I want. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. Listen to this. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now he's not saying that it doesn't profit you to give to the poor. He's not saying that. He's saying if you're missing the basic ingredient of love. And there are certain things that you can do that you ought to do, and it's right to do them. However, if you leave certain other things undone, it nullifies. I think uh, a typical scenario would be, let's say, a rich man that would give hundreds and thousands and maybe even million dollars to charity. 
Will he be blessed of God? It could be, but possibly not. It depends on his attitude. You know, if he's giving this to charity because he really wants to help people. Let's say, however, he's giving this to charity because he feels, if I am good enough, I'm going to impress God with my gifts. God says, oh, no, all of your righteousness is as filthy rags. If I give enough, even to the church, maybe somehow comes judgment day, God's just going to look upon me and everything's going to be all right. Not so, says the Lord. See, Jesus says in John 3, verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. If I'm understanding the Scripture correctly, if you correlate this with other passages of Scripture, I mean, taking all the evidences of the Bible, a man must be must first repent of his sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, and filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what the, the apostles understood Jesus to be saying. That's why they preached the way they did. You may say, are you telling me, Pastor Grant, that if I'm not baptized in Jesus' name, that I'm going to go to hell? I have that asked quite often. I remember one time just reading some scriptures. One lady became very irate at me. She said, hold it just a minute. She said, you're too biased. I said, well, just hold it just a minute. I haven't really said anything. All I've done is read the Bible. I haven't said a word. She said, but you're telling me that I must be, I must repent, be baptized, and filled with the Holy Ghost in order to be saved. I said, oh, oh I just read the Bible. She looked at me and she said, am I saved or not? I said, that's not for me to determine. What is for me to determine is whether I should preach the Bible or not. Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel of Christ. I will say this. You can do whatever you want to do with it. But I have a decision to make. I have decided to preach the gospel of Christ because this one thing I know. I know if I don't preach it, I won't be saved. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the, abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Now, after that, we find that he wants to give much fruit. Uh, first it's fruit, then it's more fruit, and then it's much fruit, according to verse 5 and, and verse 8. And then we look at verse 16. Well, actually what I want to do is uh, <clears throat> I want to conclude... Uh, by reading verse 8 and, and 8 through 16, okay? Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. It, it appears to me that what he's saying is that if you're not bearing much fruit, you can't be the disciple of the Lord. Am I reinterpreting that correctly? 
Now, much fruit to one person may mean may be something different from the other. I believe God is a just God, but I believe He judges individuals differently according to their abilities, according to their talents, and according to how long they have had to grow fruit. You don't just go out and put a little, let's say, a fruit tree in in in, in the ground and expect from a tree that's got two or three branches on it. You don't expect to get just basket after basket after basket of apples, you know. You don't expect that, do you? But if you see a large tree, you expect that, see. As the Father hath loved me, verse 9, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things... Have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full? You ever get this restless feeling like maybe you're not accomplishing much in life, and and so you feel that if I just dressed better or got a better job and had more money and if I had a better house and just basically discontent with everybody and everything, you know what you need to do? I say, you know what you need to do? You need to rearrange your priorities so that houses and lands and clothes and all that don't mean so much. So help me if I was hooked on clothes like some people I know. Cars and money. I believe, I believe I'd put on sackcloth and smear ashes all over me just to humble myself. I can't believe how much priority some people place on things that are going to burn up. You know, the Bible says now all your worldly goods, all your earthly goods testify against you. You know why they testify against you? Look at your house. You paint it today. You think you're going to stop painting it? No, you'll paint it again. It's not going to last. Go out and look at your car that was three years ago brand new. I mean, it, had a, it didn't have a blemish on it, not one spot on it. Look at it today. It's rusting. It's got dents in it, dings all over it. Isn't that right? Look at those $300 shoes that you purchased. Oh, my, they were so nice. <clears throat> Take a look after you worn them about a year. Go to the closet and get the worst pair of shoes you can find. Hold it up in your face and say, I wonder if they've always looked like this. Did they come off the shelf looking like this? Did they come out of the factory looking like this? Go to your garage and get your garden tools. Get your hose that's got 15 leaks in it and electrical tape all around it. I wonder if this came out of the, the factory looking like this. No, my friend. You see that it's, it's deteriorating. It's going down. That's what the Bible is saying. These things testify against you. In other words, if that's where your priorities are, they will not hold up. They will not stand. They're not lasting. They will die. They will burn. They will decrease. They won't last forever. The things that will testify on your behalf is when you build character in yourself and character into your family and when you pray and seek God and lay up treasures in heaven, everything else is going to pass away, my friend. 
It won't last. I'm not against people buying expensive clothes. I am if they can't give to missions. I'm not against people buying nice cars. I am if they can't pay their tithes. You follow what I'm saying? Nothing, nothing wrong with all of that. I'm just saying that, hey, let's own those things. Don't let them own us. And at the most, they should only benefit us in our service to God. And we understand that they're given to us only as a, during this tenure of life, and, and we'll discard it, and we'll throw it aside. And Oh, I believe good stewards ought to take care of every good thing they, that God's given to them. But on the other hand, not to the point that it becomes your God. Oh, you want full joy? Obey Jesus. And give your life to Jesus. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Notice this, you have not chosen me. You did not have the ability to one day say, I want to be a Christian until first God said, I want you to be one. You hear me? You know what you need to do? Let me tell you something. I'm serious about this. I'm serious about revival. You need to take all of your receipts come tax time. You need to look at all the money you're spending on yourself and all this. And you need to look at how much you're giving to God. And you need to honestly ask yourself, is this a good balance? Hello? Me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. God ordained you to be a fruit-bearing Christian and that your fruit remain. Now, if I understand what it says, your fruit should remain, that means it should always be there. Is that what that's saying? It should always be there. It should always be there. Set together. It should always be there that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of my Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you that you love one another. Now what I want you to do then is just turn. Just put your index finger right here. And John 15. And let's go to Mark 11. 
Mark 11. Just a little intriguing story. <coughs> Jesus goes to purify the temple. Before he goes to purify the temple, though, in verse 12, and on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And sent a fig tree afar off, having leaves. He came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. All right? For the time of figs was not yet. It was not the season for figs. 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 Now don't forget that. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now verse 15 through verse <clears throat> through verse 19, Jesus goes and purifies the temple. <clears throat> and then on verse 20, notice what happens. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering, saith unto them, Have faith in God. Now, <clears throat> I'll tell you what I think's happened here. Okay, listen very carefully. It appears, <clears throat> you remember what Jesus said, that you should have fruit and your fruit should remain. Now, Jesus used a fig tree to point out a very important lesson of life. And Jesus cursed the fig tree when it was out of season for a reason. There's no way that fig tree could have had figs on it. It was out of season. The time of figs was not yet. Why did he do it? To teach us a very valuable human lesson. As Christians, we are to have figs year-round. We are to bear fruit always. And what I see in so many people is that every time you try to obligate them, well, I can't just right now, you know. You remember when Paul stood before Felix on his way to Rome? Felix says, I will wait for a more convenient season. And a lot of people just sit around waiting until fig time. Isn't that right? There's the, I, I've talked to a lot of people and said, well, this is what I'll do. I'll start supporting the church whenever I get enough money to i tell you what I'll do. I'll start preaching on the streets or marketplaces or wherever you work 
whenever I get good enough. They're always... It, it just, it, it's part of our human nature to feel that tomorrow is a better time than today. Well, I'll come to pre-service prayer whenever I can get my schedule. If I didn't have to work so long hours and everything, I need that Sunday afternoon nap. Man, I can't hardly get it in. I can't hardly get into service by, by time to, for song service. And he's talking about pre-service prayer. Maybe, I, maybe I'll start coming when service. I guarantee you one thing, my friend. If you were interested in the Packers and they'd have won the playoffs you'd, and you wanted to go there, you, you'd have got there and you got there in plenty of time. You wouldn't have got there just when the last field goal was kicked, would you? No. Arrive at halftime? No. You wouldn't. Where your interest is, my friend. You hear me? You hear me? Show up at your job lunchtime for a week straight and see what happens. Hello? Come on. I'm talking about something that's very important. I can't, I can't, I can't. The answer is this. Jesus gave the very simple answer in verse 22 when He gave this human lesson. It's never convenient. It's always the wrong season. I can't pray for the telephone. I can't pray for company coming by. I can't pray for my schedule. I can't do this because I'm not good enough. I can't read because I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time for all this. The Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Have faith in God. I don't have enough money to support the church. Have faith in God. I don't have enough. I can't testify because I'm just not a, an orator. Have faith in God. Your faith is put on the line, my friend, when you start serving God. There's no need to be laying hands on someone and praying for them because I'm not spiritual enough. Jesus said, have faith in God. I can't come down and pray with people at the altar because I never was a good altar worker. Have faith in God. I have to take my Sunday noon, afternoon nap. Therefore, I can't come in for pre-service prayer. Have faith in God. That's the answer, my friend. No figs on the tree because it's out of season. It's always out of season for human beings. It's not a good time for me to get spiritual. It's really not. But I made up my mind a long time ago, my friend. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. If you're just waiting around on a day in which it's going to be better than it is today, you'll wait until the trumpet blows. Oh, hallelujah. Have faith in God. Oh. I've known the churches that they always felt, well, we get a few more members, we'll start a choir. We get a few more members, we'll start an outreach. We get a few more dollars, we'll start supporting missions. Baloney. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> you know what you have to do? you got to take what's in your hand. If we wait till we get enough money to evangelize the world, we never will evangelize it. Because if we ever get enough money... With that concept, we'd be so carnal we wouldn't spend it on evangelizing. 
you got to have faith in God. I say you got to have faith in God. Praise God. All right, stand with me. I hope I stepped on some toes today. <clears throat> this is, uh, you know, this is, what should I say? I probably said enough already. <clears throat> Let's have faith in God. Do you believe Jesus? You want to see revival? You want to preserve America? You want to save your family? Oh, did you did you see last Sunday evening those precious little children out here praying at the altar? You remember that? Little Anna Sandin, just not Anna, uh, Katie. Little Katie was down here. Anna was praying down here. All those little kids. I mean, they were just, <clears throat> we had one lady visiting. She looked at them and she said, why are they hurting her? I said, they're not hurting her. After a while, everybody stopped but Katie, even the adults, and she kept on praying. The adults cranked back up. I mean, you know, Katie is just, you could almost put her in this glass. She's a little tiny thing. I said, almost. <clears throat> just a little tiny thing. But boy, I'll tell you what, she had big faith. Tears going down her cheeks. That's, a, that's, that's the way we need to raise our kids. You hear? They need to know all about prayer, and all about seeking God, and all about praying at the altar. They need to know all that. Mm. Now, Lord Jesus... You have heard the words of this message. I hope, Lord, that this has brought glory to your cause. If not, Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. But Lord Jesus, I've tried my best to do what I feel the Holy Ghost wanted me to do today. Now, Lord, the rest is up to you. Walk these aisles, knock upon these hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Would you like to come today and submit your life to the Lord? Why don't you step right out? Would you like a deeper experience with God? Would you like to believe God for great revival in your household? Step right out and come on and pray. All around the front here, there's a place where you can come and kneel and pray. Would you do that right now? <clears throat> oh, God. God, I love you. Come on, join these people. Oh, God, if for some reason you feel that you can't come to the front, whatever the reason is, you can just be seated where you are and bow your heads and pray. But whatever you do, would you seek God before you leave today? Would you ask God to strengthen you, to give you wisdom, to give you power? Would you, would you pray that right now in Jesus' name?
Jesus is alive and in this place. said all over the building let's pray let's seek the Lord oh God is good God is real We seek His face. We seek His face. We seek His face. Oh, 